Good morning, Facebook family. It's a resurrection day, and I am so excited to be coming here and being able to preach the gospel on such a wonderful, wonderful day. Um, there was kind of a glitch there, so I don't know if you caught that, so I'll just say it again. I said, good morning, Facebook family. It's Resurrection Day. It's Easter. It's the day that our Lord, that we celebrate the rising of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is my favorite day of the year. I love this day. I love remembering the resurrection of our Lord. Now, a lot of people, when we come to this, people come to this holiday for all sorts of different reasons. They celebrate it in different ways. They approach it from different backgrounds. For example, you've got people who celebrate Easter by hiding eggs and hunting eggs and eating lots of candy and that kind of thing. And they have no even mental awareness of what it means from the Christian perspective. Um, you have the pagan origins and some of the people that celebrate and do those things, which that's kind of been dying out over the last centuries. You've got people who come to it in a very uh, carnal mindset or a very traditional mindset, and they just acknowledge it as a day that we celebrate in Christianity, but they don't really have the heart emphasis in touch with it. And then you've got the people who just come to this day so humble and so thankful because this day is the day that marks the reason that we get to celebrate and live our lives as Christians. This day is it. This is the climax. This is the pinnacle. This is the creme de la creme. This is our day as Christians. This is where we get to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. It's the foundation of all of our hope. It's the foundation of our faith. And if we didn't have the event that took place on this day, we wouldn't have anything at all. And I say all of that to say this. I don't want to be those people who come to this holiday. And you even see examples of various types of people in Scripture. I don't want to be the guy who gets so analytical about what it means and the breakdown of, you know, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be so over-analytical that I miss the heart of it. And I also don't want to be so fearful of the current society that we live in and so separated from the New Testament world that I can't fully get in touch with who Jesus is and with what this event actually means. You know, sometimes because we're so we're separated by thousands of years, sometimes there's almost a rift and we read the things in the Bible and there's almost this cultural distancing where we can't really put ourselves in their shoes. But you have to understand that the Jews, the Pharisees, they sought to kill Jesus because it was upending their religious lifestyle. It was risking put having the Roman occupation come in and hinder the various privileges that they had. You had the Sadducees who didn't even believe in the resurrection. You had the Romans who thought that there might be another uprising similar to the Maccabeans. And you had the disciples who were so controlled by doubt and fear that they weren't even able to grasp the words of Jesus when he had told them, I have to be put to death, but I will be raised again. I don't want to be any of those things. You even have the uh, disciple or the apostle Thomas who later comes even after Jesus is risen. And he says, I refuse to believe unless I can put my finger in the wounds of his hand or put my fist in his side. I will not believe. And of course, Jesus meets that and answers his request in spades. But I refuse to be any of those things. I want to be like the women. And I don't say that. I know the culture we live in, that needs to be that needs to be mentioned. I need to have a disclaimer. I don't want to be a woman. I want to be like the women that you see at the end of each of the Gospels. The ones who 
went to the grave the morning following the Sabbath, that went to the grave on Sunday morning because they just wanted Jesus. It didn't matter that it didn't look like what they thought it was going to look like. It didn't matter that Romans were guarding the tomb. It didn't matter that he was dead. They just wanted Jesus. And I want to read this verse in Mark 16 before I actually get started preaching. But this verse, it says, it's Mark 16, verse 6, and it's an angel speaking, and it says, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. Do you see that the women who went to the tomb had something that the disciples didn't have? They had a single desire. See, the disciples had the desire for Jesus, but their desire was mixed. It was mixed with ambition for the overthrow of their Roman occupation. It was mixed with a desire to have great self-status, to be elevated, to sit on his right hand and his left. It was mixed with doubt. It was mixed with fear. It was mixed with concern with what was going to happen, how things were going to change. They had a lot of ulterior motives mixed in with their desire for Jesus. But these women had a singular desire. Their desire was for Jesus, and that singular desire took them to the tomb when no one else was there at an hour before anyone else decided to show up, and they got to hear the gospel first from an angel. And not only that, but Mary crying in the garden is the first person that gets to see the resurrected Jesus. So they not only got to hear the gospel first, but then Mary takes the gospel back to the disciples and tells them the news that Jesus is risen first, so they got to be the first carriers of the gospel also. And it was all because of their singular desire for Jesus. It wasn't mixed with ulterior motives. And sometimes in Christianity, we have these ulterior motives mixed in. We want Christ because He'll fix our marriage. We want Christ because He'll take care of our addictions. We want Christ because He'll give us our better life now. We want Christ because it'll come with money. We want Christ because it'll help us with our responsibilities and we have hell, um, fire insurance from hell. We want Christ for all of these different things but I'm telling you now that my single desire is to be the man or woman in some of your cases that is, wants Jesus more than anything else. That wants Jesus beyond any other material desires. That's willing to give it all up and pursue Jesus. And in the resurrection we see this desire of these women who come and they just want Jesus so they get to receive the gospel first. That's my heart's desire, and I pray that as we get into the Word this morning, that that can be your heart's desire as well, that you're willing to say, okay, God, I'm willing to do whatever you ask. I'm willing to go wherever you send me. I'm willing to say whatever you need said. I'm willing to be whoever you need me to be. I'm willing to do whatever it is and whatever it takes because I just want Jesus. That popular song that I always quote, you can have this whole world, just give me Jesus. Or even to make it biblical, Paul says, I counted it all lost so that by any means I might attain Christ. I might win Christ. I might have Him. See, and I say this all the time, but if you're willing to put something above Christ, it's just because you simply don't have a proper understanding or revelation of who Christ is. And so I'm telling you this morning, as we press into prayer and into the Word, and we hear the message this morning, I'm just asking, just seek God in this moment and say, Jesus, become my singular desire. Become my desire from which every other desire flows. Become my captivating thought. Become my singular fascination. Let me be fixated and attached to the vision of you. And let everything else be secondary. Amen?
All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as I opened it up with just a brief exhortation on you being the singular desire of our hearts, God, I would ask simply that that become a true statement for everyone who hears this message, that everyone who listens simply wants you, that it's not they want you and, or they want you because, or they want you if, but it's they just want you. Just as the angel said, you seek Jesus talking to the women about their desire to perform the last burial rites on the body of Christ. Let that same statement be easily said of us that we seek Jesus above all else, in spite of everything else, no matter what, forever and always. Let that be our singular desire and let that be the most ready, available description of who we are, that we are a people who seek Jesus who seek and know the resurrected Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, I put the Scripture up there, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 21. I don't know how long this message is going to last. I just want to preach something from my heart and see where it goes. We're going to start with verse 21. This is the end of Peter's quotation of Joel's prophecy. You'll see why I wanted to begin there later. But this is essentially, this is 50 days after the resurrection, or 50 days after Passover, I'm sorry. This is 50 days after Passover. The disciples had received the instruction from the Lord Jesus to tarry in the upper room until they be endued with power and receive the Spirit from on high. They had just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They had just spoken tongues. All these people witnessed it, and they began to say, well, they must be drunk. Peter rebukes them, says, no, we're not drunk. It's only the 9 a.m. or the third hour of the day. But then he begins to quote Joel's prophecy, and he says, this is that which was spoken of by Joel. And so we're going to catch the end of that prophecy and move forward from there. So in verse 21, it begins, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you can't praise God for that, then there's something wrong. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be, not could be, not there's a possibility, not there's a provision for, shall be saved. Amen. Men of Israel, hear these words. So he's about to say something important. He's saying, hear these words, pay attention to what I'm about to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So Jesus of Nazareth was attested to you by God. God confirmed who he was by the signs and the wonders and the mighty works that he did. So it wasn't just his preaching. It wasn't just his intelligence. It wasn't just his profound nature or his the way he carried himself or his mannerisms. It was actually God himself confirming who Jesus was through these wonders. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Stop for a second. All this talk about predestination, all this talk about those things, I want you to understand something. The truest and the easiest definition of predestination is that God predestined the plan of adoption. God predestined the means in which adoption would become available through Christ Jesus. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So you see, God confirmed him, and then God crucified him, or delivered him up to be crucified. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, or pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible 
for him to be held by it. The only way that it would not be possible for him to be held by it is number one, it's because he had no sin. The wages of sin is death. If Jesus had no sin, then death had no claim on him. And number two, it's because Jesus was not only fully man, but he was also fully God. And you can't kill God. God has no beginning and he has no end. He's eternal. He has no death. So Jesus being God, death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. He is risen. So not only did God confirm who he was during his ministry on earth, but then God crucified him or delivered him up to be crucified to accomplish the purpose and the predestined plan of adoption. But then he called him back from the grave because it was impossible for the grave to hold him. So God confirmed him, God crucified him, and God called him back from the grave. And then once he had delivered the message and spent the 40 days with the disciples, he then called him back up into heaven and Jesus is now ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for us. He is risen. I can't say that enough times. He is risen. We need to celebrate that. We need to marinate in that. We need to let that just soak over who we are that Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Son of God, sacrificed Himself for us, was put into the grave, and then God called Him up. And He rose from the dead. And then He ascended to God forever making intercession for us. He is risen. And then something interesting happens here. And I love this. This is probably one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. For David says concerning him, it's a quotation of Psalm 16. That'll be important here shortly. I saw the Lord always before me, even at my right hand that I may not be shaken. I read out of the ESV, sometimes the New American Standard, sometimes the Christian Standard, but I love the way that the King James Version says this. I saw the Lord always before my face, even at my right hand that I should not be moved. I love that. That... I hold God always in front of me. That I always know that God is with me. And He's even at my right hand, the position of favor in my life, that no matter what comes against me, I will not be moved from my position next to Jesus, in front of Jesus, because if Jesus is in front of us, then we're in front of Jesus. And I will not be moved, I will not be shaken, I will not be uprooted or uplifted from this position in front of the resurrected and risen Lord Jesus one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Therefore, therefore is a continuation. It's a defining word, meaning that what he's about to say is dependent upon what he just said. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My heart was glad because the Lord was always in front of my face, because the Lord was always at my right hand. Therefore, my heart was glad. Therefore, my tongue rejoiced. And what that simply means is, therefore, I praised God. I rejoiced. I danced. I sang. I quoted psalms. I rejoiced in lavish praise and lavish love and lavish glory back upon God because He rose from the dead and He is forever making intercession on my behalf. He is risen. My flesh will also dwell in hope. I told you at the beginning of this message that today is the anniversary of the memorial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it's the very foundation of our hope. And this is just confirmed by that therefore statement. Therefore, my heart, my flesh also will dwell in hope. Therefore, my flesh will dwell in hope. And then, This right here is the reason for it all. The scriptural backing for the resurrection of Jesus. For you, God, will not abandon my soul to Hades or hell or let your Holy One see corruption. 
He will not abandon Jesus to the grave. He would not abandon Jesus to the wages of sin because Jesus had no sin. He will not abandon Jesus to death. And because He will not abandon Jesus to death, He will not abandon us to death. Death is not the end. All this fear and all this panic about COVID-19, the worst thing that COVID-19 can do is kill your body. And the Word says we should not fear those things or those people that can kill the body, but we should fear Him who can kill the body, but then afterwards cast the soul in hell. And so if we know that nothing can happen to us but death outside of God, then we should rest in hope because all death means is that we too will be resurrected and spend eternity in the presence of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because He was raised, so too might we be raised. 1 Corinthians 15, that that's the foundation of all of our hope is that knowing that if He was raised, then He's the first fruits of the resurrection and we too shall be raised with Him. You have made known to me the path of life. The path of life, this is in Jesus. You have made known to me the path of life by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Doesn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Hmm. I want to stop right here and I want to point out something really, really interesting. Right here, Peter is quoting Psalm 16, the end of Psalm 16 anyway. And he's quoting Psalm 16, and he stops right here, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. But that's not the end of Psalm 16. There's one more line underneath that in the actual psalm. So after this, if you want to go back and check out Psalm 16 and read the end of it, you can see that line there. But he stops at the first, he actually splits verse 11, Psalm 16 verse 11, and he reads the first, or quotes the first portion of it, but he leads off the last line. And I want you to understand that this is, should be a testament to the accuracy of Scripture and to the infallibility, because this is not Luke just superimposing the verses here in the midst of Peter's speech. He's just writing down what Peter had spoken. If this was superimposing the Scripture in that place, Luke would have included all of it because of how meticulous he is. But because he dropped that last line off, it leaves no room for doubt in my mind that Peter didn't say that last line. And you might be asking yourself already, well, just shut up and tell us what the last line is. But it's this. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That finishes it out. <laughs> that would have went beautifully right there. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, the glorious thing about all of this is is that when we think about the right hand of God, and we'll read it in a moment in verse 33, we know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for us. I just quoted that verse from Romans a few minutes ago. The right hand is the place and position of favor. So Jesus is in that position of favor, and at the right hand of God, to whom this quote is talking to, the psalmist talking to the Father. He says, At the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. Meaning that in Jesus Christ, who is the right, at the right hand of the Father, who is the right hand of the Father, there are pleasures forevermore. I want to tell you guys something, and some of you guys are going to get wigged out, and that's okay. We've been watching this show, The Chosen, and it has this saying, Get used to different. And that's kind of been mine and face. Um, motto our whole lives at least our whole ministry together is get used to different because we're definitely different so if you get wigged out that's okay just bear with me or ignore it or forget it i don't care but last night 
I'll usually wait till Saturday nights to begin praying and seeking God for what I should preach. And last night as I was praying and seeking God's face about what I'd pre what to preach, I had kind of a general idea. And so then I just began to thank God and pray over what I was going to preach. And I had a vision. Um, they're biblical. Actually, Joel 2, the passage that Peter quotes, speaks of visions. Young men have visions, so I guess I'm young. Uh, my dad had a prophetic dream uh, a while ago, so I told him that he was getting old because it says old men dream dreams. But I had a vision, and it wasn't anything extravagant. But I seen a vineyard of grapes, this huge vineyard of grapes going as far as the eye could see. And in my vision, it came to kind of a point you couldn't see where it ended. It was almost like it was infinite. But you could see where it started. And it, at the start of it, there was an individual, I believe representation of the church, with their back to the vineyard. But in front of them, they had a single stake with grape, a grapevine wrapped around it with a few grapes on it. And they had their little basket, and they were sitting on their knees, and they were picking grapes off of this single vine with the entire vineyard to their back. And I began to ask, okay, if I don't have some kind of interpretation for this, then this was just a Fruit Loop Twinkie moment. Maybe I dozed off and didn't realize it. But as I began to pray about it, I just was like, okay, well, I'm going to write it down anyway. Maybe I'll get an interpretation for it later. And as I began to write it down, it hit me. That the individual was a representation of the church. Well, we could say the individual is a reputation of me if you don't want me to pin it off on you. That's fine, because I know I do this. We have all the infinite riches of Christ Jesus available. Infinite riches. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Him. All the power of God, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, everything. Eternal bliss, eternal joy, peace beyond measure, joy unspeakable and full of glory. All of it's available in Christ Jesus. And we turn our back to that and we focus on this little infinitesimal amount that we can comprehend. And so, by embracing this one section, and only this one section, we exclude everything else. Because this section we can understand. Because this section we can perceive, and we can see the whole scope of it. We can understand all the ins and outs of it. I began to ask God because it hit me in my heart because I, I, for so long I've studied doctrine and theology and all these intricate details of understanding and I've just let that consume me and I've moved away from what my first fruit, my first passion, my first desire, my first love, if you will. I moved away from seeing all the riches in Christ and to focus on the letter and the jot and the tittle and I saw myself becoming a, a Pharisee, for lack of a better because everything had to be perfect and everything had to fit in its place. And I was so focused on the logic that I was missing the glory. And I was so focused on the single thing and I had to understand every little intricate detail of this one stake and this one vine and because I, I could perceive all of that. And if I couldn't perceive all of that, then I was neglected. And as soon as I got this one done, then maybe I'd pick up another stake and I'd move it over here in my vision and I'd continue to neglect all of this. See, the resurrection is God's confirmation that Jesus Christ is not only the Christ, but that He's the Son of God. Romans 1 says that. It says that He is of the lineage of David and He's confirmed to, that He's the Son of God through power by the resurrection of the dead. That's what confirms who He is. 
And then through that resurrection, through that promise and that confirmation of who He is, we have an access, we have an open door into all the riches of Christ Jesus. But we're so focused on what we can perceive and what we can understand that we won't open our hearts up to the rest of it. See, some of you, whether you realize it or not, the moment I said I had a vision, you closed off what I was about to say because you can't comprehend that. You can't understand that. So you are going to focus on your little stake and you're like, okay, well, that vision must be somewhere back here, but I'm going to focus on this because I can understand it. I'm not ready for that yet. And see, some of you, when you, you're sitting there and you're sick in your body and there's healing available back here, but because you can't understand that, you won't take that stake and put it in front of you. You just, you can't, you neglect it, you ignore it, say, oh, I can't experience it. I don't understand it, so it must not be real. I said something about my father having a dream or a prophetic dream. Well, I don't understand that, so it must not be real. Speaking in tongues, that's a huge taboo in the church today. And you're like, well, I can't understand that, so I'm just going to leave that back here to our back for right now. But the resurrection of Jesus shifts all of that. And it says all of it's available. All of it's available. It's not necessary. Can you go to heaven without it? Sure. But your life is going to be limited. And you're going to stay inside a box of what you can understand when you can walk through the vineyards of glory. See, that woman that was in my vision, yes, it was a woman. I wasn't going to mention that because I didn't want you to think that my wife was in there and I was studying and I was having visions of women. It was a woman representing the church. But she had a basket. And she was putting the grapes, the few that there were, in the basket. But see, if she had gotten up and she had turned around and she would went through the vineyard, she wouldn't have even needed the basket. Because at any point in time, through that infinite vineyard, she could just reach over and she could pick a grape and she could eat it. But what we do is we take and we pick off the truths that we like, that we can understand, and we put them in our basket. And we hold them. They don't nourish us because we don't eat them. They hold, we hold them and we cling to them. And we're like, well, this is what I got. This is what I understand. This is what I perceive. The resurrection makes no sense. But that's okay. Because it's the power of God. The virgin birth makes no sense logically. But that's okay. Because it's the power of God. Why would God an infinite God choose to redeem a fallen mankind through the process of sending Himself, His Son, in human flesh to live 33 years, give or take, to go and die on a cross and endure mockery, humiliation, a crucifixion, pain beyond measure, to be counted, stripped naked, thrown in with the thieves, tortured, spit on, have his beard pulled out. Why would he do that to redeem a people that had no self-worth at all? No intrinsic value. Every value that we have is extrinsic, meaning that God bestows that value upon us by his very desire for who having relationship with us. It was nothing about us. Why would God do that? Why wouldn't he just wipe us off the face of the earth and start fresh? It makes no sense. But that's okay. Because sometimes we have to get beyond the barriers of our logic. And we have to open ourselves up to the reality that there's something more than our finite minds can comprehend. See, if my mind can comprehend all of Scripture, then my mind has become greater than Scripture. And that will never happen. Because I'm, I'm finite, Scripture is infinite. I'm fallen, Scripture is perfect. And see, if we would just let go a little bit. Now, I'm not saying get off into every wildish fantasy and heretical doctrine that there is. Study to show yourself approved. What I am saying is don't let your knowledge and your current understanding become a barrier that prevents you from getting closer to God. 
Don't focus on your stake, on your vine, when you've got a vineyard of glory behind you. Don't focus on the truths of Christ Jesus that you can understand completely, but start experiencing and searching out the truths that you're yet unable to yet comprehend. That's what the resurrection does for us, is it gives us access into the presence of God. See, the resurrection, when Christ rose from the dead, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. It was torn. And the veil had marked the separation from where the presence of God used to be. See, they were still doing sacrifices and st things in the temple, but they didn't even have the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God anymore. That hadn't even come back since the Babylonian captivity centuries before. But they had a formula or a form of holiness, a form of godliness, but they didn't have the power. In the resurrection, that veil was torn. And that's a sig significant truth because before the veil was torn, the high priest one time a year could go into the Holy of Holies. No one else could. When the veil was torn, you can say it was so that we might have entrance. You could say it was because God came out and He no longer allowed Himself to be confined to that singular room, which He was never truly confined to anyway. But either way, it shows that there's no more barrier of flesh between us and God. That in the resurrection, when Christ rose from the dead and that veil was torn asunder, we might now come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain grace or obtain mercy and find grace to help in our need, time of need. That's available to us because of the resurrection. See, if Christ was crucified, that's a wonderful truth, but that doesn't save us. Because if Christ was just crucified and He didn't get up from the dead, then He's no different than every other prophet. He's no different than every other teacher. He's no different than anything else because he's in the He would have been in the grave still. And He would have been subject to the power of death like everyone else was. But the miraculous thing is, is that the crucifixion of Christ, which reconciled us back unto God, when He rose from the dead, it solidified the purpose of the crucifixion, and then it gave us access into the life of God through the resurrection. See, if we don't have the resurrection, we don't have anything. If we don't have the resurrection and in this life we live for Christ only in this life, then we're of all men most miserable. If we don't have the resurrection, then there's no sense in doing any of this. We have to have the resurrection and we have to know that Jesus is risen. Let's keep reading. Verse 29, Acts 2, verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that both he that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. That's just what I was saying. If Christ isn't raised, then he's no different than any other patriarch. He's no different than any other person. David, who everybody loved, and the nation of Israel, the pentagram, or the star, not really, is it a pentagram? I don't know. But the star, the symbol, that is David's symbol. It all goes back. They loved David. He was the greatest king of the Israelites, arguably with Solomon, but at least he pursued God all of the days of his life. But he was dead and was buried. And they had his tomb. It's working to show a point. Being therefore a prophet, talking about David, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. He wasn't left dead, and he never sinned. This Jesus, this Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, this Jesus who's the foundation of all of our hope, God raised up, of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted 
at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Everything that he was talking about with the prophet Joel, that whole passage that he quoted before we started, and then we started with the last verse, even this passage, he's tying the two together, showing that the day of the Lord that Joel was speaking of, the day that started the last days, the day that began where young men shall see visions and old men shall dream dreams, the day where the Spirit will be poured out freely upon all flesh, where handmaidens and sons will prophesy, which means preach and proclaim the gospel, that day he ties it in with David's prophecy of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. And he even makes the comparison saying, David, who was a great man, who was a prophet, he died, he was buried, and his tomb is with us. But this Jesus, he died and was buried, but his tomb isn't with us. We have the empty tomb, but we don't have the tomb that's his because it was a borrowed tomb. It was Joseph of Marimathea's tomb. So we don't have Jesus' tomb. We have an empty tomb belonging to someone else, and it's empty because he's risen. Praise God. It's empty because he's risen. And the verse where I said, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, the place where all of our pleasure lies, the place where all of our joy lies, where all of our peace lies, and therefore receive from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, and the Father working in union poured out the Holy Spirit upon all of us. And that's what marked Pentecost. And that's what made Pentecost so glorious is because it was the gift of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, who came upon us and sat upon each of them. And yes, they spoke in tongues. Theirs was foreign languages. I'm not going to get into that debate here. But yes, they spoke in tongues. Gifts confirmed the reception of the Holy Ghost. And that was a wonderful, beautiful thing. But the more beautiful thing than even the gift is the fact that the Holy Ghost never left them that they became indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And all of that was accomplished by the resurrection of Jesus. Now in Christ, we have the power of God dwelling in us. We're baptized with the Holy Spirit in Christ Jesus because of the resurrection. Let's keep reading. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's a quotation of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, God the Father talking to Jesus, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies footstool. Enemies your footstool. And here's the whole reason why. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, therefore, remember that therefore word? That this is something that's based upon everything that we just read. Therefore, because God said to Jesus, sit at my right hand, I'll make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, because God exalted Him, raised Him from the dead, because He confirmed who He was through His signs and wonders and diverse miracles, because He confirmed who He was by the various acts, the various teachings, the various miracles of the fish and all of those different things because He crucified Him or delivered Him up to be crucified. Therefore, because He called Him from the dead, raised Him up, Therefore, because David prophesied about it, and therefore that's a confirmation of what Joel had been talking about. Therefore, all of that, this is what it's saying. Therefore, because of all the things that we just read, let all of Israel know for certain, know for certain, not doubt, not maybe, not think, not perchance, but for certain, that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. 
this Jesus whom you crucified. God has made him both Lord and Christ. We'll flip over to Romans real quick. Romans 1. I didn't put that on there, but it's just Romans 1. It's just the beginning of it. We'll come back to Acts in just a second, so you don't even have to turn over. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. This is Romans 1, verse 1. Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. It's what Peter was talking about. David being a prophet prophesied. He's not the only one. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, another confirmation, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. God made him both Lord and Christ. Jesus descended to the earth, lived the life, perfect, spotless, blameless, prayed in Gethsemane, took our sins upon Himself, became the curse, 2 Corinthians 5.21 and Galatians 3.13. Then went to the cross, allowed Himself to be crucified, could have delivered Himself at any time, told Peter, do you not think that I could call 12 legions of angels to rescue me? Could have got off the cross, but He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before Him. That's Hebrews 12. Despising the shame for the joy that was set before Him, the joy that He finds in us. For what reason? I have no idea. It's just the pleasure of God that He chose us. And no, it doesn't make any sense why God, infinite and perfect and holy and pure and spotless and blameless, with the power to wipe us all out and start over, with untold, uncountable, immeasurable numbers of angels worshiping Him day and night, desired to have relationship with us. And all of this so that Jesus Christ could die and be buried and get up on that Sunday morning. The resurrection is the power that God used to demonstrate and to confirm and to solidify that if He had chosen Jesus Christ or Jesus of Nazareth to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, why does that matter? The reason that I began with Joel of the last verse of Peter's quotation of Joel's prophecy, verse 21, is because of this. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse 36, where we were just at, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him, Jesus of Nazareth, both Lord and Christ. Lord. God made Jesus of Nazareth Lord. Everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone that calls upon the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the one that God made Lord and Christ, that one, that name, the name that is above all names, the name that at one day every tongue shall confess and every knee shall bow, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus, everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, I've mentioned this several times. But during the law, when they had the Ark of the Covenant, when the high priest went into that Holy of Holies, one time a year, that was the only time of the year that they were allowed to speak the Tetragrammaton, the name of God, Yahweh. They weren't allowed to speak at any other time. But when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement to put blood on the mercy seat 
for the sins of the entire nation of Israel, at that point in time, he could say the name Yahweh. And that right there, at least it's my research and my opinion, that that right there is what completed the Day of Atonement. That's what completed that whole ritual, that whole process, was saying the name of God after He had offered the blood on the mercy seat. And then He could come back out and tell whether or not tell the people whether or not the offering was accepted and the rest. But I think it's such a beautiful picture because the offering has been made. The resurrection concerning the and confirming the validity of the offering has been accomplished. The ascension and the intercession, the ascension's already taken place, the intercession goes on now. All of that, all that's left is for the people of God, or the people who would become of God, and who would desire to become children of God. All that's left is for them to call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ. It's all that's left. It's for you to come to Jesus, the resurrected King, the Lord of Lords, the one that God confirmed through all of the things that we've already talked about, and simply say, Jesus, I repent of my sins. Turn away from all of that. I'm going to turn away from my understanding of the world, my single stake, my single vine, if you will, and I'm going to turn and I'm going to face the vineyard. And I'm going to begin to seek out all that you are so that we can be like those women that I talked about at the beginning from Mark 16. The ones who didn't understand everything. They probably weren't as intelligent as the disciples. They weren't as well versed in Scripture. That's arguable. I don't know. But they may not have been as well versed in Scripture. They may not have even spent as much time with Jesus when He was doing accomplishing His ministry as the disciples had. They weren't referenced as Mary the Beloved or Salome the Beloved like John was. They weren't they didn't preach on Pentecost like Peter did. They didn't become the apostle to the Gentiles like Paul would later become. They only had one thing going for them. They sought Jesus. And because they sought Jesus, they received the gospel first. And they got to preach the gospel first. Because they sought Jesus. And they let their minds open and didn't focus on what their mind could comprehend with the single stake and the single vine. But they turned and they wandered into the vineyard. And that's what I'm asking every single one of you to do today. If you say my vision was fruity, fine, I don't care. The principle remains the same. Turn away from the barriers that you've constructed, the walls that you've built, let them be torn down and choose today to wander into the vineyard. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what better day to give your life to the Lord than on the day that Jesus got up from the grave? That's my wife's date of salvation many years ago when she got saved. It was on Easter, on Resurrection Day. There's no better day, in my opinion, than today, whether it be Resurrection Day or not. Today is the day of salvation. God sets before you this choice. You have life in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, and you have death. And then He says, and I beg you, choose life. Love you guys. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord,
I've preached the gospel in the best way that I know how. Lord, I know that I have natural limitations. But I pray, God, just as we've been reading from Acts chapter 2, how the disciples spoke and their voices were translated into all the languages of the native tongues of the people that were present. I pray that my voice could be changed and my words could be molded and that they would apply to the people in the position that they're at. And I pray, God, that you would overcome my natural limitations and that you would truly reach out and touch a people. Lord, I pray that anyone that watches this video, if they don't know you, Lord, I pray that today becomes a wonderful day for them to get acquainted with you. Lord, and I pray for those that have listened to this that do know you, I pray that it was just an encouragement. Maybe it was a confirmation of some things. Or maybe it was just enjoyable to hear a message about the resurrection on the day of resurrection. Whatever their situation, whatever the circumstances, God, I pray that you use this for your glory and for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.